I didn't invite you up yet. Uh, to say it is, uh, to say that this person needs no introduction is maybe a little bit of an understatement, but for those of you who are visiting, this is Vicki, my wife, and uh, we started a tradition, how many years ago? Mm, boy, 12 maybe? 12 years ago. We've been here 11 years, so <clears throat> I don't think it was quite 12, but it, it's been a long time since we've done this. Sometime we're going to get the courage up to do one together, but... As you can tell very early on, that might be interesting, so we, we haven't gotten to that yet. Uh, here's what I can tell you about Vicki. She got a card this morning from one of her kids, and on the picture was a, a little girl with two French fries stuffed up her nose. <laughs> and uh, this is what it said on the card. I wrote it down. It says, oh, okay. <laughs> it says, don't worry when people ask me where I get this from. And you open the page, it says, I tell them I got it from their dad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Vicki laughed and laughed about that. And one of the reasons she laughed is because she thinks the funniest jokes in life are true. <laughs> so, uh, and it is true. Uh, Vicki has passed on so many great qualities to our kids. And uh, I'm looking forward to listening today. So, all right. There's a clock staring at you. Yeah, there, so I, I see now that. Now you know. Yeah, okay. I see that. <laughs> already talked to one person that said, I asked if you were going to have a nice Mother's Day or what had you planned today, and she said, I have planned to rest. And so I hope that many of you have the chance to rest today. But I know that's difficult. For me, to rest is one of the hardest things to do. Um, Dawn Gearink went to visit my daughter Lonnie, which she's a little chip off the old block, and it was her birthday when Don was visiting and they were having breakfast. Don had gotten up and fixed breakfast for her and did all the dishes and then she was going to leave. And she said, very seriously, okay, Owen, she said, now I want you to stand guard over your mom and watch her so that she doesn't do any chores today. And he looked at Don really seriously and he says, my mom, she does what she wants. <laughs> which means chores right we have a hard time if someone says mom I'm going to do the dishes you know if it's me okay I'll let them do the dishes but then I'm putting away the butter and the milk in the fridge and because I have a really hard time not working now my mother-in-law had surgery a couple of weeks ago on her back and the night before surgery, she's, we, she and I sat down in the living room, and she was reading to me, and this says, is actual, this is a real, this is for real. She was reading to me the activity for daily living guidelines for lumbar fusion. Now, I won't say which hospital this is from, but this is in town. Okay, it says... And she's reading this to me. She says, immediately post-op walking. That's good. Four weeks, walk dog. Less than 10 pounds. That's not too many dogs. Six weeks, fishing from shore or pontoon boat. Swimming. Two months, light gardening. Three months, fishing from boat. Golfing. Ice fishing. Little lift fish, less than 10 pounds. Bike. Shooting firearms, walking on uneven ground, six months, bow and arrow hunting, <laughs> jogging, running, shooting firearms, 
one year, climbing tree stand. <laughs> this is for real. <laughs> Full golf, jet skiing, motorcycling, riding ATV, riding lawnmower. It doesn't say mowing, it says just riding the lawnmower. Snowmobiling, softball, baseball. <laughs> I told her, I said, what is this? I said, there's no work on here at all. <laughs> it's all hunting and fishing. And I said, that has to be center, something from central Wisconsin. So I thought, you know, you're not going to find this in Los Angeles and New York, you know, fishing from boat. So, but the funniest thing was, I said, let me see that. And so I took it, and there are two lines that go across, and she only read me the one. The other one says, immediate post-op, two weeks, ironing, dishes, cooking, four weeks, dusting, six weeks, grocery shopping, load and unload dishwasher, three months, laundry, you get to do the laundry, <laughs> make bed, sweep, <laughs> six months, clean bathroom, clean car, scrub floors, shampoo carpet. <laughs> One year, move furniture. <laughs> you see the contrast here? Do you get, now these lines are not labeled. I'm sure to be politically correct, you couldn't label these, but we all know who they're for. <laughs> so the men was all fun and the women were all work. <laughs> but that's what we're about, isn't it? We are all about work. We work from the time we get up in the morning till the time we go to bed at night. And sometimes when we're laying in bed, we think about work and we think about work for the next day. Isn't that true? Now, why do we do that? So I was thinking about that this week. Why do I do that? Why do I have such a hard time resting? And I think it's because as moms or homemakers, women, whatever, we want the best. And we want the best for our families. We want the best home. We want it to be clean. We want it to be organized. We want to keep the calendar so everybody knows exactly what they're doing and where they're going when. We want to make sure they don't make a, miss their appointments. We want to have the best meals so we provide our nutri nutrition for our kids, but yet eat, still eat it. We want the best clothes for our kids. We want a nice fan so our children aren't embarrassed when we drive up to pick them up at school. We want the best gifts when it's their birthday so they'll feel appreciated. We want the best vacations so that our kids will have the best memories when they leave home. Now it's even to the point where we have to look at providing the best technology, which as you saw on the screen, so that our kids have their cell phones, a good computer, and all of those things. So we want to provide the best. And opportunities, I didn't even mention <coughs> for our children, you know, we start early ages with hockey, soccer, dance lessons, music lessons, because we want the best opportunities for them when they grow up. So they will be successful adults. Now, these things change with the seasons of life. And so I was kind of thinking back about what were some of the pressures that I felt throughout now that I'm a grandma. I don't have um, kids at home anymore. So I was kind of thinking back about the stresses of life as um, after I got married. And before I got married, when I was a young girl, I always dreamed of being a mom. In fact, I more than dreamed, and this shows you how ignorant in that day and age an elementary school girl could be, 
And I always, pr- I would pray on my way home from school, dear God, I would just love a baby. You know, not realizing that God just doesn't do that, <laughs> except for once. He only did that once. But I wanted somebody to love, and I wanted to s- somebody to love me. So when we got married, I couldn't wait to have kids. And we got our first little girl, and our first little girl cried every time I'd try to feed her, and she'd scream, and she and I did had this little feeding battle go on. She didn't want to be held. She hated the rocking chair. I'd hold her. She'd push me. She'd want down. And then her first word was not mommy. It was Mandy, which is our dog. So, <laughs> so I was not, there was not this, you know, fairy tale relationship between her and I. Then I got to the preschool years, and our middle daughter um, is so easygoing until you hit a certain point. I remember one day when she had done something to, to somebody, and I told her to say sorry. And she's just, she was short, just teeny little. And she, she stood there, nothing. She just pursed her little lips, and I could see, you know, that I had hit the wall with her where she was not going to say she's sorry. And I'm thinking, okay, how do you make somebody say sorry? So those um, discipline things, I wanted well-behaved children that would um, be successful in life and that would bring the Lord honor. And I found that you couldn't always control what they did. We got to elementary school. I wanted to protect my children, and when they went to school... You don't always have that much control over what happens to them. And Corey would come home. See, I'm telling stories on all of them. He came home from school, and there was a girl in his class that was bullying him, not only verbally but physically, and he was, like, just distraught. What do I do? Because it's a girl. You know, if it was a boy, I would know what to do. But, Mom, what do I do? Because she's a girl. I didn't know what to do. What do you do? So you lack wisdom. I just lacked wisdom, and I lacked the ability to go there and and, um, protect him myself. I wanted to be, pass on my intelligence, the things that I knew, my skills to my kids. And I remember helping Lonnie with her math, and she'd gotten a problem wrong. And so I told her, no, this is how you do it. And she said, no, Mom, that's not right. This is how you do it. I said, no, Lonnie. I said, I've gone to college and I know that this is not how you do it. She looked at me straight out. She said, no, Mom, this is how you do it. And so I learned early on that I was already not smarter than a third grader. <laughs> <laughs> I hit the junior high years, and then all of a sudden it was my kids were embarrassed about me. And I remember going to the Janelle forgot her lunch one day. And so I thought, I'm going to be the good mom. I'm going to bring her her lunch. And so I went to West, and I found out where the lunchroom was, opened the door, and it's like pandemonium. And I'm hundreds of kids, you know, on top of just, anyway, it was a crazy room. And I stood there, and I thought, as all kids, no adults, I thought, there is no way that I'm going to find her. And, of course, there was no way that she was going to find me because she saw me standing in the door, but there was no way she was admitting to anybody that she had a mom. (laughs) (laughs) Then your kids get to senior high, and there's all the temptations that go in with senior high. And they're starting to move out of your control and your influence, and they go off to college, and 
Are they going to stay in the faith? Are they going to go to church on Sundays? Are they going to read their Bibles? What are they going to do on the weekends with their friends? You know, and all of those worries that you have and you wonder, did I do it? Did I cut it as a mom? Did I give my kids the foundations that they can rest upon and live the rest of their lives um, successful and blessed by God? So, Chris, if you could throw up this picture. Sometimes I think as moms we feel like this. We have a big burden to carry, but there's nothing in our wagon. So we feel like we're pretty empty sometimes. And we are. In a lot of ways, we are limited. We are limited because there's only 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, 12 months in a year. So we are limited by time. We're limited by our finances. Sometimes we just can't do what we would like to do because we don't have the money. We are limited in our skills. I may have a college degree, but I'm not very good at art. Or I may cook well, but I'm not so good on organization. So we're we're lacking in our skills and talents. We're also lacking in our personality. So you may be an extrovert and have a problem listening. Or you can be a good listener, but you have problems expressing yourself to your kids. Or there's things in our personality, there's things in our past. We know that there's things from our past that we carry with us that we try really hard not to replicate in our own homes. But we know that that's the default mechanism that we get, that we revert to when we are pushed. We watched the movie this year, um, Soul Surfer. I don't know how many of you saw that. And it's the true story of Bethany Hamilton, a Christian young lady who um, lived in Hawaii. She was on her way to a big surfing career. And one day she was in the water with her surfboard and a shark came and actually bit off her arm. Like bit it right off to here. And the movie tells of her struggle with that. And I think sometimes... We feel like Bethany Hamilton. We're trying to live life, but we only have one arm. And in the movie, it shows where she's trying to cut an orange with one arm. How do you cut an orange with one arm? She pulls out her ukulele. How do you play a ukulele with only one arm? She's decided one day that she was going to get out and she was going to surf. And so she got out her surfboard and she tried and tried and... She went under the water, almost drowned. What do you do? How do you surf when you only have one arm? Now, I think most of us, if not all of us, struggle with this feeling of being inadequate, this fear of failing, this fear that I have this big job. If you're mom, you love your kids more than anything. You You would do anything for your children, but this job is bigger than me. Maybe you have something going on at work. Maybe you have something going on with um, elderly parents. There's so many stresses in life, so many ways that we feel inadequate and that we worry, we keep trying, we get up every morning and we keep trying, but we're afraid that we're going to fail. Uh, Every now and then the Lord has me camp on a passage of scripture and he had me camp on John 8. If you have your Bibles today, or the Pew Bible in front of you, turn to John 8, chapter 1, and I would like to read it for you. And this isn't, this isn't one of my favorite stories. So when I felt the Lord telling me that he wanted me to sit on this story, I'm going, 
okay, I don't really get it, but I, w- I will do it. But I love this story, and I have learned so much from it. Let's pray before we read it. Father, we just thank you for your word. We believe that there's power in your word. And Father, I just pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak in a powerful way through, through the words in this scripture. Father, I pray that this message this morning will strike us in our heart of hearts about how we feel inadequate, we feel like we have failed, we are afraid that we are going to fail, and we feel like we are living life with only one arm. Father, I pray that your words today would speak to us your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, It says, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people, and now at this time they are trying to kill him. So to go to the temple, he's kind of putting himself out there, knowing that they're trying um, to have reason to arrest him and kill him. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, this little passage of scripture you may see in your Bibles that has brackets around it. And the reason is because in the earliest manuscripts, this passage was not included. But in doing research, they they found this story referred to as an actual account of what Jesus did as early as um, the year 100. So, um, so most, if not all, Bibles include this, and they believe that um, it, is, it actually happened, and what it says here is what happened. Now, they think that one of the reasons that this um, was omitted, and it says in some manuscripts there's a blank space where this would go, and they said because in the days, and we talked about that last year when I talked, spoke um, on Mother's Day, that in that day there was so much promiscuity and marital unfaithfulness that they were afraid that if they think that they were possibly afraid that this was a dangerous story and that it would say that, um, maybe say that, insinuate that adultery was okay or Jesus didn't really think that it was all that bad. And so they think that that's maybe why they omitted the story. which is not really what Jesus was saying at all, but there's a much more powerful lesson here. Now, there were three big sins, and that was idolatry, murder, and adultery. All three of those sins were guilty or or, were condemned to um, death. And in the Old Testament, it tells how you were to put them to death. And the scribes and Pharisees were right here. This woman was, if she was caught in the act, was, um, was, um, she could have been, stoned to death. <clears throat> so that, that was right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they bring her to Jesus. Now, I noticed as I was reading, they, in the Bible, both parties 
are to be stoned. It's not just the woman. But I think it's interesting that they brought to him just the woman. And I believe that the reason, because she was low. Women were low on the totem pole there in that day. And so to bring to Jesus, and Jesus was noted for being a friend to sinners and a friend to women. So they bring this woman before him, and the, the purpose was to trick him. And the, the way that this was a trick question was, <clears throat> no matter how he answered, he would be guilty. Now, if he answered, no, um, I don't think you should stone her, then he was guilty of saying Moses' law is invalid and, you know, it's okay, this adultery thing is okay. And then they had him because he wasn't following Mosaic law. Now, if he said, um, yes, she should be stoned, then he was guilty before Roman law because at that time and in, in that place, Roman law superseded the Jewish law, and so they could not really put her to death. And so they, they bring him before her as a trick question because, you know, they feel like now we've got him either way. Either way, he's guilty. And so they put this woman there, and he bends down and he writes in the sand. And now there's speculation of what he wrote but this is, this is in the study that I did. This is what I feel. They said the, the word graphene means to just write. So to doodle, draw, write, whatever. It's general writing. Cotographene means to write down an account of or record. And I agree with scholars that believe that Jesus was writing down the sins of the people, that, of the Pharisees that were standing there. And it says, I think in the... Um, one of the translations I read, it said from eldest to youngest. And I think that's so significant that it was specifically from the eldest to the youngest. So, of course, Jesus would have known who was the oldest and who was the youngest and all that they did. And it said that he, he who is without sin, that adamarteo, that Greek word means desire. So it's not just the three big sins, it's the desire to do those sins. Maybe the harboring anger in someone's heart, which is the beginnings of murder, the putting something else before the God is idolatry, and having lust in your heart is um, adultery. And so I believe that that is what happened. And Jesus, I'm sure, was specific enough for each one of them to know, men to know that he was talking about them. <clears throat> now, if you notice, he's bending down when everybody's gone. I love this. He was left alone, and he stands up, and he says to her, Woman, where are they? Has no, man, has no one condemned you? So he's speaking to this woman, and here she is standing with the person who is the ultimate judge, not for physical death, but also physical death. And he's saying, Where are your accusers? And she said, There's not even one. And then he said, neither do I. And so notice how Jesus again flips and he accuses her accusers. So he takes the sinful woman and he accuses her accusers. Now I think I, what I'd like today is I would like you to put yourself in this story. And when we talk about feeling inadequate and being a failure, I'd like you to put yourself and hopefully, you know, we all can, we all can be the accusers in the story of other people, but let's put us, ourselves in the place of the woman. And Jesus asks a significant question. He says, where are your accusers? And I'd like to ask you this morning, 
Who are your accusers? When you feel like a failure or inadequate or like you're coming up short, who are your accusers? I'd like to suggest today that there's three, way, three places that they come from. One is your outer world. And I think we, that starts with our parents. And I was told uh, uh, by a counselor once that they had done prayer counseling with a woman who, as she prayed, that God would, she had this feeling of rejection. She just, it was just permeated her life, this feeling like she was a rejected person. And as she was praying, she had a memory. And the memory that surfaced was of her as a baby bring being brought before her mother. She had just been born, and, and the doctor presents her to her mother, and the mother says, Oh, but I wanted a boy. I don't want to hold her, take her back. Amazing how that memory stayed with her for the rest of her life, even though she didn't even remember it. Sometimes it can come from teachers. Teachers can say, you know, Oh, can't you... You can't get that. What's wrong with you? I've heard that from my kids. That your outer world accusers can come from pastors. Maybe you in your upbringing grew up under a pastor that preached legalism, that God is a judge, and that we had better be careful, and that we had watch our backs, make sure that you repent of every sin because God is looking over your shoulder. Sometimes our accusers come from other church people. And I think this is as hard as sometimes as, as parents or pastors. When those of you who do ministry, you know how hurtful it is to have someone criticize your best efforts in your ministry. And that, that goes with you, those, com- those negative comments. I also think that your accusers come from your inner world. That tape recorder that you have, that plays, you know, that's going, that's, Go, you try to do something and you go, oh, but I, I, I don't think that I should do that because I probably am not good enough. I don't think I can try that because, you know, I failed in the past. I think I might fail again. Or somebody looks at you wrong. I'm not lovable. People don't love me. So we replay those messages in our minds. Sometimes we assume things about that may not even be true about how someone thinks about us or, or treats us. I think the third whale is the spiritual world. And the reality of this spiritual world is that in our spirit, we know that we are sinful. We know that we fall short. We know that we um, give in to temptations when we shouldn't. We know that we have in the past. We know that we will in the future. And the biggest thing, accuser, is Satan. <clears throat> and Satan is always on the lookout for times that he can accuse you. And he will exaggerate, he will lie, he will keep records of every wrong that you've done, and he will bring them up and say, remember, remember when you did that? You know, you're not, you're not worthy of doing that. Or he'll tell you lies about God. Remember Eve? He said, did God really say that? You know, or God's a God of love, but does he really love you? You know, he loves her and him. But I don't know that he loves you because you're not worthy of love. So, but if you notice, who are these accusers? Not one of these lies comes from God. Where in the scripture can you find 
any of these things, that you're inadequate, you're a failure, you're not loved, you're rejected, none of these things come from God. And they are not truth. So why do we believe them? At our women's retreat, those of you who remember um, the gal at the women's retreat, the Lord would give her pictures. If you remember that, those of you who were there, she showed us these drawings that she would draw. And the Lord would give her a picture and she'd draw. And then the Lord would show her what it meant. Well, one of the pictures that I, I took with me was she was sitting in prison. And she's sitting there with her head down. And she's in prison, but the door is open. She was sitting there by her own choice. And I think when we believe these lies, when we believe our, our accusers, if we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are sitting in prison with the door open. You can, Jesus is that key. He's already unlocked it. You can go out and, and you can live your life. So why do, we, why do we stay there? I think one of the reasons that we stay there is because you know, to keep someone in prison or to keep someone down is to brainwash them. And I think Satan has done his best to brainwash us, to actually believe that the lies that we believe are truth and even to believe that those lies that we believe are from God. How terrible. <clears throat> so I see my time is going. So I just want to say, um, just in closing here, the second, or my second point was if you notice that he says, where are your accusers? And she says, not one, Lord. And when Jesus looked her in the eye and she called him Lord, do you think those accusers did her a favor? They did her a favor by bringing her to a savior. They're, they wanted to trick Jesus and have him killed. They wanted to have her killed. And in the end, the, she found the Lord. She found her savior. Well, and Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Do you know why he didn't condemn you? Her because, and doesn't condemn you because he already knew she called him Lord. She had taken the key. And he was going to take that condemnation on the cross and pay for it for her. Now, was she guilty? Yes, she was guilty. Did she have shortcomings? Yes, she did. Had she done anything worthy of Jesus dying for her? No. And I think this is such... An important truth for us to remember is that you are worthy. The day you were born, you were worthy for Jesus to die for you. I think so often we think that grace, you know, grace is, you know, it's an amazing thing. But God gave you grace because you were worthy of your, his love. Not because of what you did do or didn't do, but because he made you. So I looked up the word creative. Ephesians says we are created by God for good works. We are his workmanship. If that pot is worthy of being yours. And so you, the day that you were born, are worthy. Not anything that you have done or ever will do will make you worthy of Jesus' love. Just because you are makes you worthy of Jesus' love. Then I think the last point that I would like to make is I love this. Um, Jesus spoke and he said, neither do I condemn you. Two times he says the word you. Now she was brought in as a pawn. So I'm sure those men, Pharisees, didn't even know her name. But he comes in and two times he looks her in the eye and says you. And I think the times in my life when I have made the most dramatic changes in my life is when 
God has looked me in the eye and said, you. And he said something to me that I know is for me personally. It's not for anybody else. And it's not just that I feel, wow, the God of the universe spoke to me. I know he spoke to me. It's not only because of that. It's not only because he's validating that I am a person worthy of him talking to. But I think also when, when God created the world, he created it with a word. And when God speaks a word to you, that's like pow, power in you. And I think that's what happened when he says, go. That word go means to go and live, really live. And he said, and from now on, sin no more. And that no more is like a word of force and power. It says, don't do that anymore, but go and live. I want to show you a a, a clip in conclusion. Um, We tend to feel like we live with our arm cut off. And in this world, we do have our arm cut off. We are short. We fall, fall, um, fail in so many ways. We have lots of um, limitations. But I'd like you to remember that your accusers are gone. They've been sent away. God just sent them away. And you are standing before God all by yourself. And you are worthy. You are so worthy that he loved you and died for you. And then he speaks to you. He speaks to every one of us. He speaks personally because he knows you and he loves you. And he says, go and live. I love in in this movie of Bethany Hamilton, I love at the very end when um, the relationship that she has with her dad. And I think it's so symbolic because she tries to surf and her surfboard goes underwater and she goes with it and she almost drowns because it's pretty hard to swim with one arm. And so she gave up. And then her dad gave her a gift. It was a surfboard with a handle. And so she went out and she learned to surf with that handle so that when she went underwater, she had something to hang on to when she came up. And her heavenly fa- her father, like our heavenly father, provides that for us. So when you go under, he provides a way for you to come up. And I love that it shows how her father became, again, her coach on how to live. And so he taught her how to surf with one arm. And when she would get up and she'd, she'd go for five seconds, he would be so excited that she surfed for five seconds. And he'd help her, and he'd coach her, and he was her big cheerleader, and she stayed close to her father. And I would like to leave that thought with you, that our Heavenly Father wants us to stay close to him. And he wants to help us get out from underwater when we go go under. He wants to help us as we go along to give us tips and pointers on how to go and live. And he wants to cheer us on when we succeed. He wants to cheer us on when, you know, he didn't care if he won, but he wanted her to love doing the very thing that she loved to do the most. And I think so much of our life we think of success. Am I I a success, not a failure? And I think God wants us to just go and live, just live in the freedom that he gave us, and he will show us how to serve. I want, in closing, I want you to to show you this clip. This is the real Bethany Hamilton. I want you to watch that.
Let's close in prayer. Father, we, just, I, we thank you that we are worthy. We are just worthy, just as we, how we are, and that you say, go and live. Don't sin. Turn away from sin, and you just say it with this fierceness um, that no more to sin, no more is a sin, is a word of power and force, that we don't live under the water, but that we surf. And Father, we thank you that you have given us everything for that abundant, li- abundant life and because you want us to live. Father, we just thank you for this truth this morning. I give it to you and ask that you would um, bring it to flower in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.